DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I am delighted to be joined once again by Dr. Peter Kraft, who teaches philosophy at Boston College and the King's College. He is the author of numerous popular books on Christian philosophy, theology, and apologetics, including Angels and Demons, I Burn for Your Peace, Practical Theology, Prayer for Beginners, You Can't Understand the Bible, and Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Heaven. With Dr. Peter Kraft, we go inside the pages of Doors in the Walls of the World, Signs of the Transcendence in the Human Story, published by Ignatius Press. Dr. Crave, thank you so much for joining me once again. Thank you for having me. This is an extraordinary book. Uh, you've done something here that I don't, I, I think I've read almost all of your books. There are so many, I don't think I can keep up with every single one, but this one is different. It really, it, it opens the door to mystery, doesn't it? Yes, uh, you might describe it as mystical. It's certainly much more imaginative than preachy. You begin it by establishing for us the importance of understanding philosophy and the philosophy of life in particular. And that's an important paradigm to understand those three philosophies, isn't it? Yes, and what philosophy is supposed to mean is uh, the love of wisdom, uh, and it begins in wonder. What most philosophers do now is, uh, well, they do sort of dull scholarly analyses of the logic of language, which is honorable, but not that interesting. So I'm looking for big pictures. We certainly find those in this because you bring forward a story. And for most of us, it's the story of our own individual lives Yes, because life is a story. Uh, the Bible, unlike most religious books, is basically a book of narrative, uh, true stories. Uh, story is probably the oldest of human arts. And anthropologists say, uh, if you discover some ancient tribe and you wonder whether they're human or pre-human, if you know that they tell stories, that makes them human. It's the first art. As you describe it, and I think so wonderfully, the, the sacred stories, I mean, more often than not, we hear them described as myth, and we have a poor definition of myth, I think, today. Do, would you agree with that? Yes, we tend to think of myth in a very cynical way, as a, a something made up or imagined, something that's not true. But the literal meaning of the word myth is simply a sacred story, whether it's true or false. In that sense, uh, Christianity is the true myth. The myths become fact. Back to the title of the book, Doors in the Walls of the World. I couldn't help but have that image of from Revelation where Jesus is knocking at the door and we're being called to open it. And really, that's what you're doing in this in this book in a very real way, isn't it? Yes, it's very much like what Plato wrote in the Republic, the most famous passage in the history of philosophy. Plato says, we're born into a little cave, and we think that's all there is, and we don't realize that all that we see are shadows of, of more real things until we turn our heads around and go into the light and eventually into the outside world, and we're amazed that there's so much more than we thought. Uh, that's also Shakespeare's philosophy. He puts it into the mouth of Hamlet when Hamlet says to Horatio, there are more things in heaven and earth that are dreamed of in your philosophy as Horatio. Well, and that's what's so important for the Christian to understand, isn't it? I mean, because those early Christians, they were initiated into the mysterium, 
I mean, that's the the term for sacrament comes from uh, the Greek mysterium, isn't it? I think that's that that's not only literally true, but terribly important psychologically. I remember when I was a kid, maybe twelve or thirteen years old. Uh, I was, I think, in danger of losing my faith because I was bored with church services. Uh, and somehow the thought came to me, I'm sure the Holy Spirit put it into my, my head, that, that the truth is always infinitely more than what we know or what we have. Uh, so I said, okay, um, the object of my faith is not my preacher or these words or, or these people. It's, it's God who's always much more than we can imagine. Well, and then that, that uh, ability to be at least open to that mystery, to I mean, to open that door and to be aware of things that, I, can you describe them as maybe those aha moments? I knew that, but I didn't know I knew that. Yeah, in order to have an aha moment, you have to be open. Uh, if you're a little rabbit that always wants the security of your hole, and whenever you come out and see something new and maybe a little scary, you jump back into your hole, you never have an aha moment of discovery. Mm. I'm so glad that you used the... I, I don't know how else to describe it, but that, that tool of the story, because not only did I, as we talked about just moments ago, that, you know, we're looking at our own life story, but this is the importance of why good literature is necessary, because it helps train us. I mean, you bring out the Lord of the Rings, for example, and that's a great vehicle, isn't it? It's a tremendous vehicle. Uh, almost everybody that I know who's read The Lord of the Rings says that when they closed the book and they finished, they didn't get the feeling that they were leaving a mythic world and going back into a real world. That in fact, they were leaving a more real world and entering a less real world. Mm. That opens doors into the more, that story. You give us a sense of what a good story contains, the five different dimensions. That's an important aspect of this, isn't it? Yeah. If we're not in a story, there is no plot. And if there's no plot, there's no point and purpose and ultimately no meaning to life. Mm. Uh, either, either all the events in history are part of a story, and there can't be a story without an author, uh, or else we're just making it up as we go along. And then there's no point to anything, really, except the point that we artificially invent. And to understand the plots, again, the chapter in which you take really nice-sized elements of different stories to help illustrate the points, I think that you have to kind of train your mind or reform it once again, isn't it, to, to be able to understand that? Yeah, uh, I think one of the advantages that I have is that I'm not as bright as most philosophers, so I don't get <laughs> lost in the details. And I also have ADD, which means I get bored very easily. Uh, so I'm sensitive to uh, readers who would get bored with long and preachy uh, uh, prose. I don't know if I'd agree with the fact that you're not as uh, brilliant. Maybe I think your light is a lot brighter than most. But you have this uh, wonderful way of describing things. And I think it, it's because there, there's a line in one of the stories that you tell from that first chapter. It's uh, the true causes of World War III. And you, you bring in the point that love is to the spirit what light is to matter. And that shining of love, I mean, that's the thing that I'm going to be very simplistic, but it illuminates everything, doesn't it? Yeah, and in the world of the soul, uh, love is that light. Love opens the eye of the heart. 
we have three eyes, the ancients say, in most cultures. There's the eye of the body, and then there's the eye of the mind, the intellect, and then there's the eye of the heart. That's the deepest eye of all. And if that eye doesn't open, uh, if your heart is small and shriveled, uh, you don't see very much. And that's an important plot element, isn't it? I mean, if even in reflecting on our own lives, if we haven't experienced love, we're not going to understand it and or to be able to embrace it as fully. That's why it's important for others to share it with us. Yeah, Jesus says that too. When uh, when the Jewish leaders who were brilliant uh, complained that they couldn't understand his teaching and they couldn't believe that it really was from God, whom he called his father, uh, he replied, if your will were to do the will of my father, you would understand my teaching and you would know that it comes from him. Mm. So the will, which is a, uh, almost identical with the heart, a fundamental source of, of, of love and, and choice, uh, that's the key to everything else. That's the captain of the ship. And even the navigator is subject to the captain. The will can say to the mind, don't look at this. Mm. Or look at something else. So you have to get your will straight first. If your will's online with God, your, your mind will follow. Uh, and again, going into mystery, embracing mystery, I'm, I'm so glad that you brought up the brothers, Karamazov, I never say it right the first time, but Karamazov. I mean, Karamazov. Thank you. That's why I need the doctor. Okay. But it is that, that ridiculous point that you describe. Again, it's one of those things where you know it, but you didn't know when you knew it. That's probably the greatest novel ever written for most Christians. Uh, and the God that Dostoevsky believes in, the true God, is uh, unpredictable and more than interesting. Uh, you you always face mystery when, when, when you deal with God. Somebody once said, if you want to give God a good laugh, tell him your plans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, it, you describe that element of that's known as from the, from the Russian Orthodox as Zobernost, and you know, I, immediately I, I my brain leapt to Catherine de Hewitt Doherty, who has written about that. But I mean that that love it has a I I'm not sure how to describe it fully, except it has to be experienced in a very real way, doesn't it? Yes, uh, and we can also know that it's true even before we experience it, because God says so. Uh, even in the Old Testament, he says, uh, those who love me and obey my commandments, uh, the, the result of that love is going to go down through thousands of generations. And those who hate me, that, that hate is going to go down through generations too, although only three or four. So love is stronger than hate. But... Every act of love influences not just yourself and the person you're face-to-face with, but in some indirect and mysterious way, everybody. There's, there's gravity in the world of the spirit just as there's gravity in the world of matter. Every mm-hmm. chunk of matter makes a difference to every other chunk of matter, and everybody makes a difference to everybody. It, it's important, I think, when you enter into this particular realm, that you, you need the witnesses of others to be able to help you take the risk of believing it. Does that make sense? That, that's part of Subornos. Mm. That's part of this mysterious plot in which every character influences every other character somehow or other, however indirectly. 
if it weren't for the writings of some obscure person that you may have read when you were 10 years old, you probably wouldn't have seen something when you were 20 years old. At the, its very essence, I mean, that's the key to evangelization, isn't it? I mean, when when you're trying to bring yep. people into that mystery, it, I think we get lost sometimes in even the unfortunate crisis that hit the church or even the experiences that we have between individuals. It has to be something a whole lot more than that, doesn't it? Yes, everything we do is like a seed, and we throw it into the ground, uh, and it's either a good seed or a bad seed, but it always bears fruit. Everything makes a difference. Nothing is lost. Another part of telling a good story is the setting. And I think this segment on the fragility of time, I, it, I think that is very key too, isn't it? Well, time is a feature of our souls as well as our bodies. Uh, but the kind of time we experience here, the limited time where the past disappears and the future isn't yet, it's not the only kind of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can somewhat understand and enter into another kind of time where the the past is still here and the future is already here. Uh, That's the time God lives in, and he shows that to us sometimes. I've heard it described before, you know, that element of Kairos. I mean, we can understand because God is outside of the time, and we're on Kronos, a chronological line where everybody else is placed, and we're placed here because this is the best part of the, in our story, where we can become saints. We all know that there's two kinds of time. Instinctively, we know that uh, clocks measure only one kind of time, the time that's determined by matter moving through space. But events in our lives have more or less meaning, so that's a different kind of time. So one minute of kairos time, spiritual time, soul time, meaning time, is much more important than hundreds of hours of mere clock time. Mm. And that's what happens when we go through the door, really. I mean, when you're when you are open to that, because then all of a sudden everything begins to make sense in our encounters with others. And I'm not just talking about the others that we see here physically, but mm-hmm. those outside in that Kairos time. One practical application of that point is that there are no victimless crimes. Mm. Uh, Everything we do somehow makes a difference to everybody else for for good or for ill. Uh, And that gives us an additional motivation for doing good and not evil. We might think, well, uh, this evil might harm me, but it won't harm the people I love. But it will, eventually, Mm. inevitably. Yeah, that's uh, the the nature of evil. That's That's a part of everybody's story, isn't it? That encounter. Yeah. If you just see that, part, you'll be terrified and pessimistic, but if you also see the good part and the fact that the good is even greater than the evil, uh, you'll be cheered. It's a little bit like uh, St. Catherine of Genoa's uh, visions of purgatory. Uh, She says, on the one hand, the pains of purgatory are much greater than you can imagine because you see all the horror of all your sins. On the other hand, the joys of purgatory are greater than you can imagine because God is there showing them to you and you realize his love, and you're guaranteed heaven. And she says, only the joys of purgatory could possibly compensate for its pains. We'll return to Inside the Pages in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, 
Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. The Memorari Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly to thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. If you have been blessed in some way by the spiritual nourishment and teachings offered freely by all those involved with Discerning Hearts programs, please consider a positive review for the various programs on the iTunes and Google Play stores. This is a great way to help the ministry and is an encouragement to others who are seeking the best in spiritual formation to find and check out the programs. Won't you please help? It's an easy way to help give back and to be a part of the mission. Thank you, and God bless from all at Discerning Hearts. We now return to Inside the Pages. The sacred stories that I know that I studied, the the mythologies, as it were, when I was particularly in college, I, you, they always had uh, characters that in the, in those mythologies that were grander than the human that's experiencing that story. So mm-hmm. you end up having because they touch on reality. And the reason why they're so unique and well universal in a way is because the characters actually present. Right, our heroes and villains are in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, in even a, a fairy story, they seem to be unrealistic. Uh, the villains are more evil than we meet in real life, and the, the heroes are more heroic. And yet, there's a potential hero in us that we keep suppressing, and a potential villain in us that, thank God, we keep suppressing. So they're really quite realistic. They tell us what's in the depths of our hearts. As you just said, when we really look at our own stories, too, when you just as you said about time, the events and the choices that we've made have a ripple effect that can be just as damaging and as maybe even the consequences can be just as horrific in some ways as what a fictional character could do. Yeah, and they're real. Uh, and fiction shows us how they're real. That's, that's probably why we love fiction. We, we unconsciously realize that this is not escapism. This is realism. Mm. Uh, I think if, if, if anybody is a psychology major, don't just read psychology books, read novels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. read novels. And the greatest story, too. Well, because one of the, yeah. the, the main character, I really, or, well, it's God. I was going to say us, but it's God with us and in us, and yes? Well, that's what the Bible is, stories about God. 
Somehow he's the uh, uh, not only the author, but for the incarnation, he becomes the, the main character in his story. In fact, that's a good way of looking at the incarnation. How, how is it possible for the creator to become a creature? Well, could, couldn't Shakespeare have put himself into one of his plays as one of the characters? Of course he did. Mm-hmm. And some movie makers like Alfred Hitchcock and Night Shyamalan do exactly that when they make their movies. They insert themselves into the movie as a character. Uh, in their case, it's not a, the main character. In God's case, it is. Mm-hmm. But if even authors that are human can do it, certainly God can do it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. I mean, you know when you've seen a Steven Spielberg movie. You know when you've seen certain things. And it, like you said, Hitchcock, you know they're there. But you can't see him. How interesting. Mm-hmm. Yep. And another one of those characters is the angels, those holy angels. But then you also have the movement of those, you know, the, the demonic, the diabolical, the fallen angels. And that's real, too. This is something we usually miss in the Bible, especially the Old Testament. Uh, the polemic, uh, the notion that life is full of warfare, of good versus evil, uh, and that we have enemies. Uh, it's not nearly as clear in the Old Testament as it is in the New that our enemies are not flesh and blood. Mm. They're principalities and powers. But life is, on the one hand, a love story. On the other hand, equally, it is a war story. Well, and we have those, those cloud of witnesses there to cheer us on. I mean, that, that's what the saints are, yes? Yes. That also expands the story. We're not alone. There are thousands of fans in the seat watching us perform in the stadium. Especially as you're describing in the book, Doors in the Walls of the World, Signs of Transcendence in the Human Story. Dr. Crave, do you also, in opening that door and being open to mystery, it, it sometimes we put limits on God. We, we say certain things, unless I can understand it, it can't possibly happen. So, yes, we've talked about God, we've talked about the angels, we've talked about the saints, but can there be more? And, yeah, there probably very well might be more. Well, if we do put limits on things, we're really playing God, Uh, which is why my favorite sermon of all time uh, is also the shortest I've ever heard. God preached it to St. Catherine uh, in the Middle Ages. Uh, and he said, I'm going to summarize everything I've been trying to get through to the human race in four words. Here they are. I'm God, you're not. <laughs> yeah. We keep forgetting that second part. Well, it, it, that is, that's huge. He's the God of the impossible. And mm-hmm. oftentimes we think it's only possible. I mean, is it possible that there are other beings out there that we're not aware of? Oh, it's not really possible, but very likely. Even any scientist will tell you that the universe is not only stranger than you thought, but probably stranger than you can think. Mm. And if that's true of even a created universe, it's certainly true of God and his actions. And if all things came into being through him, with him, and in him, if Jesus is the creator of, of all, then... It, he's the, the savior of all. Yeah, there you get not just one of the many characters in the story, uh, not just a local deity as you get in paganism, you get the universal. Mm-hmm. You get the, the creator of the, the whole shebang. And it's not just some vague force, it's this particular person with, with a personality and, and, and with designs and with a will and with law and with love. The concrete and the universal come together in Christ. 
ultimately, I mean, here's the, the, the theme. And this is what we should try to recognize. And if we don't recognize joy, maybe we're reading the wrong story. Yeah, joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. The Catholic Church will not canonize a saint unless there is uh, supernatural joy in their life, as well as other virtues. Uh, so joy is a, a kind of like the grade in the course. Uh, a grumpy, unhappy saint is a contradiction in terms. I, I remember when I read the, uh, just a little brief pamphlet once I came across, and it had the face of St. Therese, and it said the joy in, in suffering. Mm-hmm. And yep. that, was, that was such a challenge to me. It was back in the uh, early days when, right after my son was diagnosed with autism. And I, at that moment, could not see the joy in it, Dr. Kraft. I could, just could not. And now that he's gotten older and the blessings that he's brought into our lives, oh yeah, yep. what a gift. Holy cow. Everybody who has children who are in any way handicapped uh, and who are open to it experience the very same thing. What a special blessing. What we, what we thought was a curse is a blessing. Towards the end of the book, you were talking about the style and, and the style of the book and its art, beauty. I mean, I think that's what it really is. And even in our own lives, where's those beautiful moments? My, my son is beautiful. I mean, that is beauty uh, and total gift to us. And that's key. I think it's a great tragedy in our culture that we are neglecting the arts, especially literature uh, and painting and music. Uh, we spend, I am told, 0.6% of all our money in universities in uh, the arts and humanities. We spend 99.4% in science and technology. Now, science and technology are important and they're honorable, but they don't do what art does for us. Uh, they don't give you that style. They don't give you that that instinctive joy uh, that pervades everything in life. It's hard for me entering into certain mediums, like particularly Twitter, where a lot of people dwell, and especially the millennials, our youngest generation, even the Gen Xers. They, I, how do you transmit a story in just a, a few words? Am I just too old, Dr. Kraft? I mean, am I just beyond the ability to, to grasp that? No, I think you're you're right. I'm afraid a lot of the personality of 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 the next generation is just disappearing into their screens. Uh, I, I I once gave my students a couple times I did this uh, uh, an extra credit title for an essay: How my world changed when I resolved not to look at any screen for 24 hours. Mm. Uh, and most of the students who write those essays say the same thing: I thought I could do it, I couldn't do it. Mm. I live for my screens. I cannot live without my screens. And that's called addiction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's the remedy? Well, it's like any addiction. The remedy is to go cold turkey for a while. The remedy is to to do something about it. Uh, The old virtue of uh, called self-control. Without that, there's no civilization. Gosh, why is that door so attractive? I I just, why, why are we so willing to throw ourselves through that portal. Well, if, if, even if it does evil, there's got to be something good in it for the devil to twist. So it's silly to attack technology or to attack uh, screens, but to attack our addiction to them. Mm. Uh, we don't get the joy that we look for uh, when we adore anything except God. It just doesn't work. All the idols crumble. 
But meanwhile, they, they don't care. I experience complete joy every time I read one of your books. And this one, this was, it was an overflowing of it. And Dr. Kraft, I'm just so appreciative of your time today. Any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, read Augustine's Confessions. Mm. That's one of the most joyful books uh, ever written. Next to the Bible, I think it's my favorite book in the world. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, he's right. It, He's there, but you're right there with him. And I just appreciate everything that you do for us in continuing to contemplate and bring us these encounters with mystery. Thank you so much, Dr. Crave. You're welcome. Thank you. God bless you. With Dr. Peter Crave, we've gone inside the pages of Doors in the Walls of the World, Signs of the Transcendence in the Human Story. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to ignatius.com. The website for its publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com or find it on the free Discerning Hearts app available at, at the Apple or Google app stores. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we ask that you tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors.